Welcome to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yovitsa Djurjevic. And today I've got a very special guest on the podcast, Dr. Rob Bell. Uh, Dr. Bell's name might ring a bell for a lot of you folks out there. He's a sports psychology coach and, and an author. He uh, has written six books on mental toughness, and the most recent one is called No One Gets There Alone, which is where we actually got the name for the episode today. He also wrote the book, The Hinge, which he elaborates more on the concept within the podcast. So I think you guys will enjoy the conversation. There was a lot of practical advice from years of experience from Dr. Bell. As well, he wanted me to make sure to share the story of Josh Fugate, who is a young man that Dr. Bell worked with over over several years, who unfortunately was in a, a bad accident earlier this year. And it unfortunately, he will probably never be able to walk again. So Dr. Bell is uh, wanting me to share the GoFundMe page for this young man and his family. And I would encourage all of you, if you can find it in your heart, to at least go to the website and just read the story. And if you find, if it compels you to donate and give to the family and try to alleviate some of the costs of the medical bills and such, and just help this young man who wasn't doing anything wrong. He just was having fun fun with his friends and slid head first down a, a water slide and, and broke a vertebrate, unfortunately. I would encourage you please to at least check it out and read the story. I know if every person listening even gave $5, that would make a huge impact to the family. So uh, description in the show notes, you can the GoFundMe link will be in there. And I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Please share the podcast. Send it at least to one of your friends today. Hopefully we can make a big impact in the community and, and cultivate this, this really fun and good conversation. So enjoy the episode. Here's Dr. Rob Bell. Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yovitsa Djurjevic. And today I've got a very special guest, uh, Dr. Rob Bell. Uh, Dr. Bell, thank you for being on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm glad we could carve out a little bit of time and, and get to chat. But give the audience who's, uh, who's not aware of you and your background, give a little Dr. Bell 101. <laughs> sure, man. Um, so I'm a coach. I'm a, a mental toughness coach, sports psychology coach. I work with athletes, coaches, and teams, helping them uh, perform their best when it matters the most. Uh, I've worked with uh, winners on the PGA Tour, uh, Olympic medalists, USTA. Uh, worked up with uh, professional soccer, University of Notre Dame. Um, and I'm just a uh, blessed man to work with uh, you know, executive athletes and all the athletes I work with. Man, I love doing what I do. That sounds like an exciting, exciting job. How did, how did you get into that business? The, uh, you know, I was always the type of athlete that thought way too much. You know, I just, uh, the coaches would tell me, well, that'll, you know, once you get into the game, that'll stop. And, you know, that happens sometimes, but I wasn't consistent at all. And I think consistency is, I mean, it is such, if you'd say, wow, that person's really consistent, that's a term of endearment. And that was not me at all. So I was either on or off and no one could ever help me out. And when I got to college and I took my first psychology class and, and by that time I've been kicked off the baseball team and I knew what I wanted to do. That was like stamped really into my heart and into my soul. This is what I'm going to do for a living is help people get to where they want to go. 
wow, I can really relate on the overthinking aspect. Uh, I, I used to do the same thing playing sports and then in the business world, uh, in my own practice, I, I still do it to this day. So the professional coaches I've hired over the years, it's, that's been their main job. Just get the clutter out of the, out of the way. I say when we, when we thinking too much, we're, uh, we're behind enemy lines. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you're a published author, author. I think you've published six books up to this point. Six books. Yes, sir. And, and your latest one was, uh, no one gets there alone. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what the thought process was behind that book when you were writing it. Well, it, it actually started off, this was the most difficult book that I had written. It's usually they, they're supposed to get easier, but this one was the most difficult one because it just did not come together. And, and the reason why is what happened is, uh, I signed up for a, a half Ironman. Uh, you know, there was only a couple of issues with this race is one, you know, I hadn't been training for a half Ironman. Usually you want to train for these type of races. So, you know, 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike, and then 13.1 mile run. You know, the other thing was, is I didn't even, I didn't even own a bike. I hadn't biked in about 10 years. It's just not my thing. And then the third issue was, uh, was this race was in two weeks. So I always like to test that theory that if we just keep moving, if we never give up, that was the message I was always taught. I like to test that theory out then. So I had asked myself the question, if I just kept moving, would I finish? The answer was yes. And then something happened, one of these hinge moments happened in the race that totally changed my trajectory. And this is how the book came to be was, you know, the swim goes fine. I'm at mile 30 on the bike, not having biked. I don't know anything about bicycle maintenance, how to do this stuff. And this is a highly stressful environment. And at mile 30 on the bike, when I'm cresting this small hill, my back tire goes flat. And my back tire goes flat. It's really tough to keep moving when you can't move. And I, w- I was stuck. You know, racers are cresting the hill and they're taking off. And I'm like, I have nothing to change the tire. No one's going to stop. My race is done. And, you know, after about five, six minutes of, I mean, it feels like forever because the clock still keeps going, even though you're having a bad day. A guy stops and, and asks me if I have anything. And I said, I don't have anything. He tosses his air cartridge and his tube to me and, and takes off. It was a Disney moment because I'm waving and like, I'll never forget you. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> and then now I'm stuck in this situation. I'm going to try and change a tire, higher stress in the environment, something I'm not prepared with. And another guy stops. He pulls over the side of the road and he asks me, he says, do you know what you're doing? And I said, I have no idea. And this guy gets off his bike and says, well, let's get you fixed. So this was another racer, another competitor that stops to help uh, a stranger, a, a dumbass, you know, somebody not prepared that didn't respect the situation. And to help a stranger like that to stop his own race, the only thing that I could ask myself at the end of that race and for weeks after is, Rob, would you stop? The answer up to that point was no, I wouldn't have. And I didn't think it had anything to do with me not being a nice person. It had to do with the situation. This was a competitive situation. Was I really going to stop my own race? to help somebody else out. Well, once that happened, then I started looking at, well, were there other professional examples that this happened? And the answer was absolutely. It happens more often than we, than we think where professionals would help out others, even if it was the detriment to themselves. And that's when the book really started taking off that no one gets there alone. If we look at it, no one does get there alone. I mean, even the Lone Ranger had, had Tonto. 
So we all need other people in our life to help us get to where we want to go. And then to be able to ask ourselves that question, would you stop, is a is now answered before it's even asked. And that, that hinge moment changed my life. And that's how the book got started. Yeah, that's really where I started paying attention when I was reading your book. I'm, whenever I'm reading them, I'm always looking for, okay, what's going on here? What's the, what's the genesis behind um, even the purpose of the author writing in? And as soon as I read that, I said, okay, I see what's going on here. So, but you, you mentioned a word or a phrase in particular, that hinge moment. And you talk about that over and over again in your book. Elaborate on that for, for the folks who haven't read your book. Sure. So, you know, the hinge, the importance of mental toughness, that was my second one. And, and basically the premise is this, is if we look at any door, every door has a hinge. A door without a hinge is a wall. It just doesn't work. So what the hinge is in our lives if we think about doors opening and closing, that's due to the hinge. If we ever hear a, a rusty door, it's not the door that's rusty. It's the hinge that gets rusty. So what the hinge does is the hinge is what opens and closes doors for us. And, and what the hinge is in our lives, it's that one person. It's that one moment or one event that makes all the difference in our lives. What it does is it connects who we are with who we become. And we just don't know when that's coming. The beauty about it is no matter how bad things are in our life, it only takes one. It only takes one. I know that to be a fact. So it only takes one person to stop to help us. It only takes one, one deal to go through. It only takes one phone call to make all the difference. And since we have no idea when that's coming, every opportunity, every person that we meet is important. And that's, that's the real importance of mental toughness and being in the moment. And that's what the hinge is all about is getting ready for that moment. And, and sometimes we might not even know for weeks or months later the impact that that one person or decision had in our life. Well, and I can relate just in my personal life um, how many times you would um, just come across things. I'll, I'll give a brief example. This is years ago. It was the first year in my practice, and uh, it was going very, very rough. Um, I, don't, I don't think I have to tell you, but when you're starting something from uh, from scratch and trying to build a client base, it, there's a lot of emotional up and ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And there was a uh, executive at a at a Fortune 500 company in my local town who I had been cold calling for months. I mean, I could never get a hold of the guy, and uh, you know, financially it wasn't going that well. Emotionally, it wasn't going that well. And this is probably eight or nine months into the business, and. I remember that morning I came to um, the office and I just thought, you know, it's, it's, it's done. I'm, I'm over this. I, I need to go do something else. Maybe, maybe I just need to accept failure and move on with my life. And for some reason I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to make my phone calls for, for the day. I'll try to set some appointments. Let's see, let's see if something good can come out of this. And I called this guy and I, I, Rob, I swear to you, I don't, I don't think it rung once and he picked up. This is a guy I've been calling for months. And he's like, hey, how's it going? I was like, oh, hey, uh, how's it, how are you doing? This is I'm so-and-so. This is what I do, blah, blah, blah. This is how we're connected. And he said, you know, my wife and I have been talking about this for a while. Could you come to my office next Thursday? <laughs> I thought, yeah, sure. So um, long story short, off of that one client, I made more in compensation off of the deal I did with that one client than I had done all those months before in the business. And that, that's what kept me in the business. And it's also what taught me, Hey, I can do this and I can make it. And, you know, persistence pays off. So that was definitely a hinge moment in my life. 
Um, and in my business and seven years later, I'm still in it. So I can't For complain. Sure. That's awesome. man. I love that. So you talk a lot about, uh, creating your own, own tribe because nobody does it or not, not so much as tribe, but just the, a, a, the accountability of, um, success because you actually have a quote in your book where you say, uh, it's, it's something along the lines of isolating, isolating yourself is when you stop caring, which I thought was really powerful because I see that a lot amongst young men with social media, with all the uh, different ways that we can feel connected, but actually not being connected. Talk about, talk about creating that accountability and, and, and that quote in particular, where you say isolating yourself is when you, when you stop caring. So I think what happens a lot of time is, you know, when we're confident, success leaves clues, right? So when we're confident, you know, we're more outgoing, we're engaged with people, we're more giving of our time, money, resources, ideas, everything. When stuff starts to go bad, and that's sort of the abundance mindset, you know, that there's enough, that there's enough for everybody. And when stuff starts to go bad, when we have these these setbacks that happen in our life, we automatically then start developing a scarcity mindset that there's not enough that I need to get mine and that I'm not okay. If I get this and that, then, then I'm going to be okay. And, and it's natural. I mean, it makes sense. So what happens then is when we start to have these setbacks and things start to go bad, we, we stop that connection with others. You know, we're not as giving as our time anymore. We're not really interested in what we can do for people. We're interested in what we can get from people. And if they can't serve us or help us, then we just don't have time for it. And then automatically, then we start to isolate. So when we lose confidence, we start to isolate. And then that's when the real difficult times begin is because the last thing in the world we want to do when we're not feeling good is connect with others. But that's exactly what we need to do because mental toughness is sometimes doing what we don't want to do. And that's why I look at it a lot of times. Like when things are going bad, when things are really difficult, we're not connected. We're, we're isolated and you know we're on that island. And kind of like I said earlier, then we're behind enemy lines and we're stuck with our own thoughts. And that's the real danger with, and it happens all the time. It happens, it happens with me, it happens with everybody. And that's the real danger though, is when we start to isolate is you know, we lose more confidence and, and then that's when it, you know, a lot of scary things happen. And, and that's the point is we weren't intended to go through this journey of life alone. Absolutely not. I don't believe that. I don't believe that we can even coach ourselves. I believe that's why the importance of having coaches and having other people that can, uh, you know, pour into us and, and point out our blind spots. Well, you mentioned that abundance mentality and, and, you know, when you lose that and you start thinking, how do I get uh, something out of people rather than giving, um, you know, some of the best advice I've gotten in my life from just coaches, mentors, people like that is, is always have a giving attitude, uh, treat people with dignity and respect. And, and that's what you can expect in return and, and good things will happen. So what, what are some practical tips that you would give to people to maintain that abundance mentality, to not allow for themselves to get into that, uh, greed oriented mindset rather than the giving oriented mindset? Yeah, I think this one right here, I think, you know, I, I don't know if I came up with this one. I've got few original ideas, not many. I borrow a lot. <laughs> but true success means rooting for everyone. Mm, so I like that. Why that one came to be, because sometimes, like, again, when we're isolated, when I'm not confident, I start just automatically rooting against people and not really rooting for them. Even rooting for our competitors. 
and people are going to ask all the time, well, I, you know, I don't like the Yankees, so I have to root for Yankees. And I'm like, I'm not talking about like fantasy world here. Like, no, you don't need to root for teams that you don't like. But when it comes to actually competitors and people that, um, you know, even yourself that you're competing against, it's it means rooting for everybody. And, and here's why that builds that that abundancy mindset. That abundance mindset is number one is you need other people at your best. I'm sorry, at their best. You know, if you look at all the best rivalries, right? Ali had Frazier, um, you know, Navratilova and Everett, um, Coke and Pepsi, Nadal and Federer. I mean, it goes on and on. Those people needed to be at their best in order to help them get at their best. So it's like when we start rooting for other people to raise the bar, that means our game gets better as well. And then the other part is this, is just really, I just think if we are truly happy for others and we can, you know, cheer for them and then it's given us a model on, Hey, here are the things that we can do better. Here are the things that we need to do better. And that when we see other people having success, it just, it should reaffirm that we too can be successful. Not that their success means that there's not enough for us and that we're not going to be successful. It, it doesn't mean that at all, but that's what happens. So when we can start to root for everybody, that's where I think that then we start really building that abundancy mindset. Well, and I 100% agree with you on that. I, I've always been a big fan, and probably part of that is my upbringing. My, my parents really come from that thought process. But it, it seems within our culture, we have more of a mindset. You know, you mentioned about root, rooting for, for everybody, but there's, there's almost this um, thought process of jealousy, and that comes from a scarcity mindset. I mean, how do you think our culture in general and the, and the messages that are being fed to us on a daily basis are, are leading into that scarcity mindset? Well, I think a lot of times, too. So the scarcity mindset gets built in, you know, what do we lack? What do we need? You know, and, and if we look at any kind of media, I mean, we're just bombarded with these messages that this is what's going to make you happy. This is what your status needs to be. This is, is what you need. And, you know, when we get that down, that the world really exists to separate us from our money, just from a strictly financial standpoint, the world exists to separate you from your money. Look, they're trying to sell stuff. And the best way to sell stuff is to, is to just tap into our fear mentality and that we're not good enough. If, if you get the message in your head that you're not good enough and you need this to make you happy and that to make you happy and you need that, then then everything becomes a competition. And then everything becomes a competition. I'm comparing myself to everybody around us. Look, it makes sense. You know, that's our natural default, but that's not, but that's not by design. So what I mean is, is like, there's tons of ways to build confidence. I know the first way to destroy your confidence is start comparing yourself to everybody. You know, people that are funny, better looking, have more money, have more success, are in different careers, have more time, whatever. That's going to sap your, your confidence immediately when the real competition needs to be against ourselves. And when we can get that, that am I better today? And what are the things that I need to do today to be better than I was yesterday? If we can just focus on competing against ourselves, that's then the scarcity mindset leaves and we tap more into our true nature and, and who we're designed to be. So that's why I think that that just happens all the time. And, and competitiveness, well, we love it. And it just gets bombarded. We, we get those messages all the time when we just got to realize, look, the real competition is against ourselves. Well, but how would you go about if you're 
you know, a young man, you're 28, 29, 30 years old, and you're looking to find other like-minded individuals who uh, have the abundance mentality, who have that uh, mindset of rooting for everybody, but you don't necessarily have the time or energy to invest in the people to completely switch their thinking from that scarcity, jealousy mindset to a 180 to the abundance mindset. How would you go about or, or what are some characteristics maybe of, of helping identifying others with that similar mindset? Well, that's a good point. I think, you know, we need to hang out with people that we want to hang out with and that energize us and that uh, feed us with our positive attributes. We, we, if, you know, if we hang out with dogs, we get fleas, man. There are people that we can hang out with that just have that scarcity mindset and it will lead us into developing that scarcity mindset as well. I kind of look at it like this, like, you know, if there could be 20 people in a room and two people are sick, the chances of other people getting sick from those two people are a lot greater than if you just have 18 people that are healthy. So what I mean is, is like that negativity, that's just what really needs to be caught in terms of, uh, that scarcity mindset, people that are just going to be about themselves, you kind of get that idea and you can see that and it comes out. And then to not be able to, you know, and and to have the strength, I think a lot of times to choose the people that we really want to help out with and that, you know, enhance our own characteristics, our own, um, you know, strengths in, in our life. And, and it really gets back to, you know, developing those relationships and having those relationships get built before those difficult times really come. Well, what, what about, I know you've spoken in front of different, you know, groups of athletes. I know you've spoken in front, you know, NFL teams and, and uh, coaches associations and things like that. What about the, the folks who already have a group of people in their life and they're the ones that made it? Maybe they've got the abundance mentality. Maybe they're the ones who uh, rose above uh, the threshold, but they've still got that core group of, I mean, I guess their tribe around them, but they're the, they have a different mentality. They've got that scarcity mentality. How would you encourage people to help them? And this sounds cold, but cut ties to an extent, um, with, uh, and emotionally reconciling that. You know, so I mean, that's a good one. I, I always say this, it's like, you know, there's a, we get these documents sometimes, these very important documents come through the mail. And those documents always have this little page that's blank. And it says this page intentionally left blank. You ever get those? And I was always like, well, why are they telling us this? Of course it's blank. Well, think about it. If it didn't say that and there was stuff that was supposed to be on there that wasn't there, I mean, that could be millions of dollars lost, you know, thousands of dollars. I mean, that could be really expensive error. So the point is, is that they put that on there because they want us to know that it was left blank on purpose. So my point is this, is we need to teach others how to treat us and we need to teach others how to, how to treat themselves. So no matter where we're at and if, if we're the ones that we're the ones that are building the culture, we really are. I mean, mm-hmm. the culture is, is a how and it's a who. And so it's really, it's, who are we building our how? Like, how do we do things? How do we communicate with one another? How is it that, that we need to set up boundaries, you know, in our relationships? How is it that we need to deal with our communication? Um, how is it that we need to celebrate all these things that take place? 
So what I look at, and I guess it's, it's a roundabout answer to answer the question, but it's like we're setting up our culture. And if people aren't into the culture, if they're not taking ownership of it, I hate that word buy-in. I'm not into buy-in at all. That just means that you're buying into somebody else's idea. I'm all about ownership. So the people that take ownership in the vision and the culture, they rise to the top. Those that don't, then the culture is the one that spits them out. You know, we don't have to do it. The culture takes care of itself. It's because the culture indicates then how we're policing each other. And it's the same thing. It's like with a, a head coach that's trying to get people to work harder. The head coach can only do so much. It's the teammates that get people to work harder. That's how that really takes place. And those that don't want to do it, then they're spit out. And I like what you said there about setting boundaries and expectations. And I'm a very firm believer in the idea that all conflict is the result of unmet expectations. And I think expectations typically, not always, but I think typically, Typically, expectations are not met, not because we're a bunch of jerks, but because they're not articulated enough. They're not clearly defined and expressed. You have a set of expectations. I have a set of expectations. If we're reasonably meeting those expectations, we're going to be friends and we're going to both prosper. But that's my little diatribe there. Awesome. (laughs) But, well, talk to me about, so you also talk about comparison as the thief of joy Mm -hmm. um, within it, but... I'm trying to remember what the other the other portion it was. It was also about it challenges your um, expectations or, or ambitions or, or something along those lines. So uh, talk to me about how, you know, you mentioned comparison is a thief of joy, but then you also say a better us makes a better you. How, how do you reconcile the the those two statements where um, you're talking about having a group mentality here, but then also not having a group mentality on uh because you don't want comparison to be the thief of joy. How do you, how do you walk that fine line? Yeah. So I, I say comparison is thief of joy, but it also challenges your talent. That's right. And, and the reason why it challenges your talent, because I mean, you know, no matter what, I mean, I don't think we get away from the comparison game completely. Um, you know, if, if we're in the, the world of business and I mean, it's just natural competition. You know, I mean, it, it just happens. I mean, sales, at the basic cellular level, are competing to occupy our body. I mean, you know, if we get cancer cells, they're they're competing to occupy space. So, you know, it, we we can't ever get away from it. And there are always people that are going to be working hard to want what we've got. So, the reason why it's just being able to balance it and not have that, you know, be the driver behind all our motivations and what we're doing is to beat other people so that it's going to be natural. It's going to happen, but it's being able to look at that as like a bar and where are we in relation to where we want to be and what are they doing that we maybe can get better at. So using that as indication to ultimately get back and help ourselves. If we're in a competition, if we're two teams that are competing against one another and then we just start only competing and only focusing on what they're doing and how we beat them very quickly, we get away from our core values and the stuff that we can control. So we're not going to get away from it, but it's just looking at it as a barometer and, you know, a temperature gauge and where is it that we are in this, you know, in this journey. Now, have you ever coached any athletes that, um, as kids probably were poorly socialized or maybe came from a, ba- a difficult background to where they um, they just have a hard time 
trusting and opening up and becoming part of that us? Um, and if so, can you give a little bit of uh, just some some tips on, on how you help him or her overcome those? Oh, for sure. You know, um, I mean, I think it happens a lot. I'd say, again, this is our default. Our default mode is that I need to take care of my needs. No one's going to do it. And if something needs to be done, it, it's up to me, right? I mean, that's a popular one. You talk about a sexy uh, cliche. It's If it needs to be, it's up to me. Well, who doesn't love that, right? The empowerment, the American dream. This is self-sustaining. I mean, you know, you're the one that needs to do it. And so when then, then we rely on our own self and it gets us to a certain place, but it doesn't sustain us. And the only place that it eventually leads us is, um, you know, isolation, not trusting other people. And, and then how, how far does that get? Because the relationships aren't built. You know, we're always going to look at, look back at the quality of our relationships is what matters. And what it takes, I think, for that is the ability to be able to trust other people and the ability to let other people coach us and that come into our lives. And then in return, you know, who is it that, that we're able to help out as well? So that's the key. Like no one gets there alone is even with our teammates that we're doing, the people we're interacting with, we're not on an island by ourselves. And if we are, then, then how is it that we need to get better and, and include people? So the thing about it is, yeah, there's things are going to go wrong and, and we're going to get hurt in this, in this journey, in this situation, and, you know, expectations aren't going to get met, but but then what happens after that? Do we develop a resentment where we're like, all right, that person hurt me. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to get them back. I had that attitude. If someone did me wrong, then I build up this, this callus that you know, I'm going to show them and I'm going to get them back. Boy, well, that, that just, uh, that, that burns you up. And, and the only thing then driving is, is that hate, you know, that resentment. So that's the piece is we're going to judge ourselves by the quality of our relationships. And that's the piece where no matter what we're doing, no matter what journey that we're on, we've got to be able to include others. Well, would you say if, if you are, you know, a young man out there or, or, or young woman and you're struggling with, with um, overcoming maybe some of those poor social habits or, or building, building that community <laughs> or, or getting to that us um, since all of us have something we're talented at, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be athletics, but it, it can be something. Would you encourage people to go and maybe even just volunteer at a school and tutor or, or go to a prison ministry or, or anything where you are helping somebody else before you actually get that help? So, so putting yourself in the mindset of giving first before you can even receive. Here's the interesting thing is, is anybody that's volunteered, especially anybody that's listening, you know, we, we volunteered before. I mean, what, I've never heard anybody say, boy, I helped them out so much. We never say that after volunteering, after giving of ourselves, we never say that. We always say, well, yeah, but they helped me out more than I ever helped them. Well, how's that possible? How did they help me out? Because what they gave me was perspective. What they gave me was gratitude. What they gave me is, you know, the ability of all the stuff that I'm thankful for in my life. And then that's how they help us out. So the fact that we learn more from people that we help out more than they ever, uh, than we help them, 
absolutely, man, we've got to give. And that's the, that's the beauty about that piece is once we start giving it, it really gets tough to stop, but we, we get back to then counting our own blessings and counting the things that, uh, that are really important in our life. Well, and you having worked with uh, all kinds of professional athletes, people at the, at the peak of their performance, NFL players, professional tennis players, uh, medalists at the Olympics, um, you know, even if you're the worst player in the NBA, you're still better than every college player out there, <laughs> probably. Sure. So you, you can – I hate when people say, well, so-and-so sucks. Well, so-and-so would absolutely murder you in a game of 21, and you wouldn't score in 10 games. Yeah, they, don't so, boo, they, don't, they don't boo nobodies, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's not how it works. But you having interacted with these athletes who have reached the pinnacle of their profession, and obviously, you know, there's different levels within that, but would you say that they have – uh, a giving attitude overall, because most people think of NFL players or whoever and think, oh, they're spoiled, they're rich, they have attitudes, they whatever. But, but what is your actual perception of the individuals that you've dealt with on a, on a one-on-one basis? So, you know, in order to make it to that level, no matter what level that we're going to be in, there, there has to be a level of selfishness in there. And the one thing is about what are we selfish with? And a lot of it is selfish with our time, selfish with the care. It doesn't mean self-centered. So there's a difference between being selfish and self-centered. Self-centered just means, again, what can I get from other people? And, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's selfish in there, but they got to be selfish with their time. You know, the thing that I've noticed is that those are more at peace. Those that have that abundance mentality, they are at peace. They're more relaxed. And when we're relaxed, we play better. You know, if this is a team sport, and I believe that every sport is a team sport, it always gets back to the relationships and, and what are we what are we focused on? And even when we have that success, it's not just about us. It's about how we as a team overcame this adversity and how we trusted on one another and how we with the culture is what got us to where we want to go. You know, the really difficult piece is when we show up wherever we're going to be is if we have the mindset that we're going to be able to focus on other people and we're going to try and help one person today. When we develop that mindset, we start looking for those opportunities. We start looking for those opportunities. They present themselves. If we show up and our whole attitude is, all right, what am I going to do today? Then that's our whole attitude. So it really just depends on what our viewpoint is heading into every kind of situation. Now, can you clarify just a little bit more on the definition between selfishness and self-centeredness? Because I think that's that's key. Yeah. So selfishness, I mean, a lot of times it's, um, you know, if I get, if I'm driving somewhere, if we're driving somewhere, we get a call that, hey, I need you to come help me out. You know, where are we driving to? Are we driving to the airport? Because, you know, I'm going to be a little bit selfish with not being able to help out at this time. We're self-centered just means that it's 100% about me, uh, that other people don't matter, that their perspective doesn't matter, that their feelings don't matter, that if I'm not getting something out of this, then I'm not going to contribute to it. The selfishness piece is just really when it comes back to cherishing our time and, and focusing on what's really important. And that's the piece that I look at it. If it's self-centered, it's all about it's all about me. It's all about having the radio station turned on to you know, what do you think about me? And 
if we're selfish though, like a lot of times about our time, then it's, it's, it's more of self care. It's more of doing what is important for our own sanity. You know, if, if we don't take times for ourselves, then how can we possibly be able to give enough time to other people if we're not okay? And that's the piece where I look at it. It's like selfish. Like, so for today that I got coming up, Hey, I've got, I've got it planned and I know exactly when, when my hour workout is going to be in there. And that's selfish. It's, it can only be self-centered if I show up there and not focus on, Hey, am I going to be able to encourage one person today while I'm there? If I can encourage one person, then that's selfish with my time, but it's not self-centered. That's the piece where I look at it's different. Is is there an environment that we're going to be in? It's interesting because our society has basically made those two words synonymous. Mm -hmm. And until you just explained that, I never actually thought about distinguishing selfishness versus self-centeredness. But it makes complete sense when you break it down that way. Because you you have to. You have to be selfish at, at certain times. If you want to succeed, you're right. Yeah. And, and that's where I just look at, you know, that it's self-care. It really is. You know, are we taking care of the needs that, you know, if we're going to need? Because I, mean, I can tell you what, it's kind of like this. Like if I don't exercise, if I get two days without it, other people around me know, you know? So <laughs> they, they better hope that I've got my exercise in because now I'm a lot more pleasant to be around. I'm not on edge and relaxed, you know, and I can focus on what I need to focus on. Not... Yeah. When am I going to possibly get this workout in? When do I need to get this run in? Because I need to train. Um, yeah. And then it turns into self-centeredness. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we're, we're running up here on on time, but I, I'd like for you to, uh, obviously, the, the name of the podcast is Millennial Manhood, and the purpose of the podcast is to help cultivate conversation to help young men improve themselves, their community, and, and others. Mm-hmm. So if you could go back to, um, let's say, 18-year-old Rob, what – What's some of the thoughts um, and experiences and just advice you would want to share with 18-year-old Rob uh, if you could go back in time? Yeah, you know, um, you know, when you ask me that question, I kind of tear up a little bit because I, I lived one of those lives that really could have benefited from me being able to talk to a younger me because um, I made all the wrong decisions. And if I was to tell myself one thing, it would just be, you know, on its basic level is don't waste your time. Don't worry about partying and having a good time. You know, it wasted so much because at the end of it, it it left me hollow. It left me not fulfilled. um, And it developed an addict's mantra. And that addict's mantra was more. You know, the more I partied, the more fun I had, the more I wanted to have fun, the more I wanted to party. And, and I wasted it, you know, I blew it and, you know, I wasn't selfish with the time, you know, I was all self-centered and that would be the biggest piece of information, man. Is like, look, um, you know, don't blow the opportunity that you got. I think all of us can, can take that. And I think all of us can also look back at our lives as we were younger and as we get older of just you know, don't blow the opportunity and, and, you know, be a little more selfish in, in the sense that it turning away from peer pressure is being selfish, you know, uh, taking care of your, your grades instead of partying with your friends is being selfish, all, all those things. So it's funny because the, the, the theme of the podcast turned out selfishness is good. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> never, never in a million years that I think that that's what we would get to. But, um, well, Doctor Doctor Rob, it's not like I came up with that. I needed other people to, you know, pour into me and let me know about those things about self care and about boundaries and having time and stuff like that. I mean, if we set up boundaries that, you know, what I don't want, I can't have people calling me at ten o'clock at night and expecting to return that. That's being selfish with my time, right? That's a boundary. Boundaries protecting that selfishness and that self care for sure. Well, and, and that's the point of this podcast is we don't come up with anything really. I mean, we're just recycling knowledge throughout, you know, the, the collective wisdom of society. We're just recycling it throughout the ages. Cause I guarantee you 300 years ago and I don't know, Damascus, somebody was having the same as that conversation. We just right. don't know who they were and they didn't record it on a podcast. That's the difference. <laughs> but, um, Dr. Rob, I, pr- I appreciate you coming on. It, it's been an incredibly insightful conversation. I think it's been very powerful, and a lot of people are going to get um, a lot of uh, good uh, tidbits out of it. But um, I wanted to give you the opportunity to share anything you wanted to share, any um, anything that you're promoting or any books or programs. What are, what are some of your final words? So – you know, if, if people want to follow me, they can they easily follow uh, just at Dr. Rob Bell, you know, on Twitter or Instagram. Um, this is what I've got coming up. And I've always got projects. I'm always writing and always trying to pour in other people. But there was an athlete that I worked with um, and and just a fantastic kid, you know, graduated from high school and did what we all do was, you know, hanging out and and you know, I don't think doing anything bad. I mean, he was a good kid and, but did something, his name was Josh Fugate and he just went down the slide and all he did is he went down the slide head first and when he went down the slide head first, then when he hit fractured his C4. So in a moment like that, that hinge moment, you know, tragedies are immediate hinges. You know, he's, he's now not able to walk and it happened so fast, you know, and he's one of those kids where he's just such a good kid. And it's like now his life has completely changed. What What is it that I can do? So mm-hmm. the reason why I put that on there to um, you know follow is I've got an Ironman that I then signed up for. That's going to be in September. I'm just going to dedicate the race to him, man. It's basically just going to be try for Josh. And, and you know, if, if there's any kind of hope then that he can get from that. So – Obviously, he's got like a GoFundMe page and everything. So if people want to help with that, man, that'd be really cool. I'll make sure to put the GoFundMe page. And if you want to email it to me after this conversation, I'll put it in the show notes. For sure, mate. Thank you. All right. I'll put the the show notes together. And I appreciate you coming on. And for everybody listening, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And obviously, if you've got any questions or uh, people you want me to interview or articles you'd like to share or whatever it may be, or just want to get in touch, millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. Again, that's millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. Please remember to share the show with your, your friends and family and anybody else you think would benefit from it. And we will talk to you guys soon.